If you got your Bibles, open up to Psalm 139. Um, I do just want to say, if I seem a little off today, it's because we discovered that my kid was trying to poison me this week. Um, if you guys didn't know this, I've got two daughters, Elian and Felicity. Felicity's the younger one. Um, on, uh, on, I think it was Friday, Jana got out a leftover batch of soup. And uh, as she took the first bite, Jana realized, man, this tastes a lot like the air freshener that we keep in the girls' bathroom. And uh, so she called Felicity in, Felicity's three, and she was like, Felicity, did you spray the air freshener from the bathroom into the soup I just ate? And Felicity freaked out and confessed. And then it dawned on me that the night before when we ate it for the first time, uh, Jana had said she used some new ingredients. While I was eating the soup, I thought, man, this tastes a little bit like soap. But I didn't want to say anything because I didn't want to hurt Jana's feelings. So then when that came out, I had Felicity on my lap. And I said, Felicity, did you pour soap into the soup before we ate it yesterday? And she said, I did, I did, you know? And so uh, it's like a little brown Chucky running around our house is what, what we got. And, and so I, mean, I do just want to say, like, just because she does that stuff, like, I love both of my kids exactly the same. I love Eliana and not Eliana the same amount, that kind of thing. So, well, here's where we are today, guys. Um, we're getting into a series we are really excited about. Um, just called Dangerous Prayers. And here's where this series comes from. Um, it's, uh, it, what they are is each week we're going to hit a prayer that is dangerous and scary to pray, that like we don't want to pray. But unless you get to that place in your heart with God, you'll never be able to get to the next level in your relationship with him. It's like, man, you have to be willing to go there in order to move forward. And the reason that some people never progress in their relationship with God and the amount of blessing that they see in their life is because they're never willing to go here. And so next week, we're going to hit the prayer, break me. The next week, we're going to hit the prayer. It's a dangerous prayer. The prayer, send me. And then the last week, this may not sound dangerous, but you'll realize it, it very much is. We're going to pray the prayer and ask about the prayer, unite us, okay? Now, the one we're hitting today, um, it's a little unique, and so I just want to dive right in, all right? So pick up with me in Psalm 139. We're going to pick up in verse 19. So check this out with me, Psalm 139, 19. David prays this. It starts very cheery. Oh, that you would slay the wicked, oh God. This is really good, okay? Oh, men of blood, depart from me. They speak evil against you with malicious intent. Your enemies take your name in vain. Do I not hate those who hate you, O Lord? And do I not loathe those who rise up against you? I hate them with a complete hatred. I count them my enemies. Now, really quick, some of you are here and you might not be a Christian. You're like, man, I knew it. I knew the Bible was just so full of you know, anger and hate. I could never have anything to do with that. Well, here's what I would say. I'd say, man, hey, be on- the Bible's not violent. It's honest. You say worse things than that on your commute home on I-65 South, right? Can we just saw? So watch this. What David does after this, here's what he does. Right after praying these things, this is what makes David, David different than you. David makes a shift that we see over and over and over and over in the Bible. Here's what he does. He goes from praying, kill him, God, you know, get him. And he's fussing and he's cussing and he's angry at all of the corrupt politicians and the systemic injustices. And man, my wife always, my kids will never. Why do my parents, I don't understand why my boss, and he's so angry at everything out there. And then he makes a shift. And this shift that we see over and over in the Psalms is what makes David different than you and me. One Bible commentator, I'm gonna read it, so just wait. One Bible commentator pointed out, he said, David did many courageous things in his life. He killed a bear and a lion with his bare hands. He killed Goliath with a slingshot. But what David prays next in the psalm is the most courageous thing he ever did. 
Watch this. David makes a shift and he makes this shift. He starts praying this, search me. Search me, oh God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts and see if there is any grievous way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Now watch this. Here's the shift that David makes. He makes a shift over and over in the Psalms, the shift from focusing on his enemies to his inner me. He understands, God, nothing changes until I do. The biggest problem in my life is not out there, it's in here. And I need you to get in my chest and I need you to search me do a thorough inventory of my soul, and I need you to show me everything in me that is not of you. Now, here's the difference between David and you, most likely. Watch this. What we tend to pray is all of our prayers are out here. We pray things like this. We say, God, protect me. God, defend me. God, help me. Watch this. How many of us have prayed this? God, provide for me. But David is different than us. He's not just praying about things out here. He makes a shift and he prays about something in here. David prays, search me, search me. Now, what's happening here, the reason that our prayers are different than David's is because we have a different attitude towards God than David. So here's what I want to do. Everyone in this room, even though we we don't like to self-identify this, we all have an attitude towards God at this moment in our life. Our heart is somewhere in relation to the Lord. I want you to see what the different options are, what different attitudes you might have towards God. And as I run through these, I want you to ask yourself, man, what attitude, where am I right now? What attitude do I have right now in relationship with God? So watch this. Here we go. I'm going to run through them. You self-identify where you are, okay? Now watch this. Different attitudes towards God. They all start with H because I'm a really good preacher. Here we go. So attitudes towards God. Number one, you might have an attitude towards God, an attitude of hatred, And this is a person who they would never pray it out loud, but what our life or our heart says to God is is something like, why me? There's bitterness and there's anger in our heart towards God because he might have allowed something in your life that was painful. Or our life says to God, get away from me. This is a person who you have active hostility and anger towards God. You look at some of God's laws and you are just angry that those rules are in that book and you'll, you'll never believe in a God who would command. And you might have a heart of hatred towards God. Now, let me just say this to you. You may hate God, but he does not hate you. The Bible says that for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son for you. While we were spitting on him and beating him and crucifying him, he was busy climbing on a cross on purpose for you. He was doing that for you. The cross proved two things for all people for all time. It proved at the same time that man hated God and that God loved man. It proved at the same time. So you might be here and your heart is you have a heart of hatred towards God. That's okay. Just admit it. Okay. Let's just acknowledge it. Now, number two, you might have a a heart not of hatred, but we might just say of hiding. Okay. And this is a person whose heart says, leave me. Uh, You might be like Jonah, who was a great prophet, but when God said, go this way, Jonah went that way. And here's what this looks like. You might find yourself avoiding God. You just meant you're avoiding reading his book. Uh, You're avoiding being around his people. You might find yourself just sort of slowly withdrawing from the people of God. Or you might find yourself systematically cutting everyone out of your life who would be a voice for the Lord in your life. And what's happening there is you're hiding from God. Now, let me just point this out to you. Everyone hides from God for the same reason. 
uh, no matter how you're hiding, everybody hides for the same reason. The reason is because down in your heart, what you believe is God wants to take from me what would truly make me happy. And here's what you don't understand. What you don't understand is that God is a good God who wants to give good gifts to his children. You guys know what the problem is with running from God? Here's the problem. Wherever you run, he's already there. He has already gone before you. What this means is that your, your life right now, it might feel like a game of hide and seek. But here's how it works. You're hiding and he's seeking. One Bible commentator, he read this psalm. And he, caught, he said, in this psalm, we discover that God is the hound of heaven. He's like a bloodhound. The blood of Christ has already been spilled for you, and God is on your scent. He is pursuing you. He wants to chase you down and make you his. Why? Because he loves you, and he came to this earth to bring you back to himself. So you might be in a spot right now where it's like, man, your heart's not of hatred, but it's just like, man, I'm in a position of hiding from God. That's where I'm at, okay? Now watch this. Number three, this is a stretch. Had to get an H in here, okay? You might be in a spot where your heart feels halved. It's halved, so it's not I'm actively hiding. You're actually actively serving the Lord in maybe a large part of your life, but there's something else in your life that gives you a divided interest. So this is a person whose life says to God, this much of me, this much of me, okay? There was a time in the nation of Israel's life where they had served God faithfully for generations, but then one day there was a great prophet named Elijah who confronted a group of false prophets from another god named Baal. But first he confronted the false prophets, and then he turned to the nation of Israel, and he confronted them, and here's what he said. He said, how long will you go on limping between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. If Baal is God, follow him. Now listen, you might not be in a spot right now where you are like worshiping and serving a foreign false god, but you might be in a spot where there's something else in your life that is competing with God for your affections. You might be trying to, at the same time, pursue God and popularity, or at the same time, pursue uh, God and wealth, or God and comfort, or God and pleasure. Now listen, what you have to know about God is, is watch this, you are, here's what you're like. You are like a person in God's eyes. Imagine a husband who's faithful to his wife Monday through Friday. But then every weekend on Saturday and Sunday, he keeps a mistress on the side, leaves his wife, and just spends two days with his mistress. Now watch this. The problem with that guy is not that he's not faithful to his wife. He is for five days a week. The problem is he's leaving something in his life, uh, and his heart is divided between his wife and another lover. What God says, he says, man, I'm not okay with that. God says, I love you so much that my name is jealous. I want all of you for all of me. That's the only thing I'm okay with, okay? So you might be in a spot where your heart is halved. You just feel torn in half. Now, here's the last posture, okay? It's what we see in, this, in the psalm, and it's you, you might be in a spot, or at least David is in a spot, where he's got a whole heart for the Lord, at least an H sound, okay? A whole heart for the Lord. And this is a person, watch this, you will only, listen, you will never pray the prayer, search me, until you're ready to have a whole heart before the Lord. You'll never do it. This is a person, when you get to this spot and you're, you're wholehearted for the Lord, you'll look back at all the other postures, the hatred, the hiding, the having, all those things, and you'll say, God, that's not enough for me. I want to go all the way with you. And only then will you be willing to pray a search me prayer. And that's dangerous. Now, 
Uh, let, me, let me just be really honest with you. Here's what a search me prayer sounds like. And some of you may need to this week, you may need to go, this week, I'm going to make this my prayer every day this week and ask God. Here's what a search me prayer sounds like. A search me prayer says, God, I want to see what you see. I want to feel what you feel. And I want to love what you love. Show me everything in me that is not of you. I don't want to be okay with anything that's not okay with you. That's a search me prayer, okay? Now, let's be really honest. Uh, that's, that's dangerous. So the question is, why would anybody pray that prayer? It poses a threat to some things in our life we might want there. Well, here's what's really interesting. You Bible scholars, you may already know this. Uh, a lot of theologians have looked at Psalm 139, and they've said that Psalm 139 is the best theological chapter in the, in the entire Old Testament because what David does, it's almost like a runway, David runways through all of what Bible scholars have called the attributes of God. And then his search me prayer is almost like the plane that takes off from David's awareness of the attributes of God. So I'll give you an example of this. So for instance, early in Psalm 139, David prays, where can I go from your presence? Okay. Now theologians have called this, listen, the omnipresence of God. That means that God is everywhere at the same time. Now, you may hear that and you may go, no, wait a second, Josh, God's everywhere at the same time. Doesn't the Bible talk about the presence of God coming and going, okay? Everywhere at the same time. Well, let me answer that. There's a difference in the Bible between the omnipresence of God and the manifest presence of God. God's omnipresence means he's everywhere. His manifest presence is when he chooses to make himself known, Okay? If this isn't making sense to you, let me give you a little example. Let's imagine that today in every service at every campus, there is a multi-billionaire sitting in the room at every service at every campus. Okay? The mere fact that he's there is his presence. But watch this. Imagine that in every service at every campus, that guy stands up, multi-billionaire, and he starts giving away a million dollars to every single person that's in the room. When he did that, he would be manifesting his presence. Let's just wait a second to see if a multi-billionaire wants to manifest <laughs> his presence and no, oh, it was worth a shot, okay? Now watch, it's, it's one thing to have them in, watch this, it's one thing to have them in the room. It's a totally other thing for them to make their presence known. It's the exact same thing with God. His omnipresence means he's in the room. His manifest presence is when he chooses to make himself known. You can leave his manifest presence. You cannot leave his omnipresence. And you know what that means? That means that that thing in your life that you're so ashamed of, that you're scared to talk to God about it, he was with you when you did it. And the next day, there were new mercies for you. You see, he's omnipresent. He's everywhere. Okay, I'll give you another one. Did you notice in this psalm, David says that God, listen to the language, formed your days. He doesn't, know, he doesn't just know them, he formed them. Now, this is what Bible scholars call the omnipotence of God. It means he's all-powerful. Now, there's something confusing about this. Some people, when they talk about the omnipotence of God, uh, they say, oh, I know what that means. That means God can do anything. That's not what omnipotence means. In fact, it's really interesting. Do you guys know that there are a lot of things, a lot of things that the Bible says God cannot do? 
okay? Uh, it's a funny little uh, preacher story. I got a preacher friend who told me about a woman that was in his church that was serving in the nursery. And she was single, and so she was rocking the babies, and she was rocking them and thinking about the day when she might be married. And so she was kind of thinking about it and daydreaming, and then she sort of just whisked herself away into praying and started praying for a future husband and praying for a future family. She's holding these little babies and praying for the children that might be her future children. And then she started praying uh, for God to help her in all those things. You know, God, will you help me? Will you help me choose a good husband? Will you help me have children? God, when I have children, will you help me be a good mom? And then she looked down and she even looked at that child's diaper and she said, God, you know, when I have kids, will you even help me change diapers? So in that moment, she felt like she heard a voice that said, I am God, I changeth not. There it is. Okay, that's good. <laughs> Got to get those horrible preacher jokes in. Listen, here's, here's what we see is that all throughout, just roll with me. Just roll with me. I got to get them in there. Now listen, what, what, what you got to see is that uh, all throughout the Bible, there are things that God says he cannot do. Some things he just cannot do. I'll give you an example. The Bible says that God cannot lie. He can't lie because he is truth, okay? Uh, I'll give you another one. The Bible says that God cannot change. He can't change because if he could change, that would mean he could get better, and he can't get better because he's already best, okay? God cannot change. I'll give you another one. This is my favorite one. Did you guys know the Bible says that God cannot condemn a sinner that comes to him? Do you know why God can't condemn a sinner that comes to him? Because he is a savior and he cannot deny himself. You see that? Now watch this. So omnipotence doesn't mean God can do anything. Here's what it does mean. The omnipotence of God means he can do anything that's within his character. God can do anything that's within his character. So for instance, uh, some people who are skeptical of Christianity, sometimes they'll say things like this. They'll say, wait, Josh, uh, it doesn't make sense. Whole Christianity doesn't make sense. Uh, why did Jesus have to die on the cross? If God is omnipotent, couldn't he have just had the power to snap his fingers and just forgive everybody? Well, the answer to that is no, because that would deny his character. You see, God is just, so the penalty for sin had to be paid. But God is love, so he paid that penalty himself. You see that? God's omnipotence means he, can't, he can do anything within his character. All right, now watch this. There's one more. This psalm says, and this is the biggest part of the psalm. Did you notice it said, before a word is on my tongue, you already know it altogether. Theologians have called this the omniscience of God. What that means is that God knows everything. Okay, now let me, let me make this a little, get a little more biblical. The Bible teaches God doesn't just know everything. It teaches that he's thinking about everything at the same time. If you think about that for a second yourself, you'll trip a breaker. <laughs> That's what's going to happen. You, you can't do it. So let me put it to you another way. What that means is that nothing has ever occurred to God. God has never gone, you know what I just thought of. I just thought of this amazing thing I never thought of before, and it's incredible. How could I have never thought of that? Uh, let, let, me, let me boil it all the way down. No one has ever told God something that made him say, oh, myself. That has never happened. Why? Because God is omniscient, all right? Now, do you know what that means, that God is omniscient? It means that he will never learn anything about you that makes him become suddenly repulsed with you. All of the horrible things that you've ever done or will ever do, he already knew those things about you when he went to the cross and he went there gladly for you, okay? He is omniscient. He knows everything. Now, you may go, Josh, what in the world does that have to do with me being willing to pray the prayer, search me? Well, have you guys figured this out about yourself? Have you not figured out 
that there are so many times in your life where you don't even understand why you're doing things? How many times in your life have you gone, gosh, I just don't understand why I keep losing it with my wife. I just don't understand why I keep losing uh, my patience with my children when they try to poison me. Well, I just don't understand why it is. Some of you have prayed before. God, I just don't understand why I can't stop looking at this stuff after my wife goes to bed. And you don't even know why you are, you want to stop, but you don't know why you're doing what you're doing. Well, let me show you something really quick. Watch this. Because God is omnipresent, he was with us when we did it. Because God is omniscient, he knows why you did it. And because he is omnipotent, he has the power to help you change it. You see that? That's what this means. So David knows all those things. And that's what, when David understands who God is and all the wonderful things about him, that's what makes David finally go, God, because you are all of those things, search me and know me. Okay? Now, I'll give an example. Years ago, there was a man in our church um, that still is a member at our church. Uh, and he, had, he was a very, very angry man. He was not saved. And he'd been coming to our church off and on for a few months and had just finished ruining a marriage and also just finished ruining a business. Um, he's a very, very angry person. Um, he, he had what I call an anger-etched face. Have you ever met somebody who all of the lines from just scowling and being in perpetual anger, they, they, became, they became permanent? And uh, this was one of those men, just an anger. He kind of operated off the principle, I'm going uh, to reject you before you have a chance to reject me. And everywhere he went, he'd blown up his family, and he'd blown up a business, at least one business. And uh, one day I was with him in a Starbucks, and we were talking about the gospel and how, how much God loved him in Christ. And he decided while we were in Starbucks that he wanted to pray and give his life to Christ. And so we knelt uh, in our, our little chairs, and we prayed, and we prayed he gave his life to Christ. And uh, when he lifted his head, not only did he have tear-stained cheeks, his face had changed. Uh, it was like, man, he didn't have the anger-etched face anymore. Something was different. And the first thing he said after he prayed that prayer is he said, I don't think that I just got forgiven. I think I was just given the power to forgive. And he went on to explain, I didn't know this about him. He went on to explain that he had grown up in a home with an alcoholic and abusive mother. And all his life, what he, re- he said when he prayed to receive Christ, in that moment he realized that he had been living out of 40 years of bitterness and unforgiveness at his mom. And in that moment, God gave him the power to forgive his mom and set him free from the bondage of bitterness and unforgiveness. Now watch this. Here's what he said. He said, I feel like years of therapy just happened in a moment. He's a wonderful counselor. You see that? Now watch this. Do you guys know what a great counselor does? A great counselor searches you. They get inside of your chest. They take an inventory of your heart, and they help you find what is at the root of all of your self-destructive tendencies. And what this passage is saying is that God can do that for you. Do you know why some of you have lived your entire life, and you're like, man, I just don't understand why my marriage, just every relationship I'm in keeps blowing up. My relationship with my children, I'm constantly estranged. I'm constantly, I have bitterness in my parents that won't go away. I don't understand why every time I make a budget, and I set my face to do the budget. I blow the budget and I just we downward spiral into more and more debt. And you're going, I just don't understand why. Well, here, here's maybe why. Because you spent your whole life praying, God, help me. God, protect me. God, provide for me. But you've never been courageous enough to pray, God, I need you to search me. 
I need you to get inside my chest and I need you to show me everything in me that is not of you. And if you do that, that's dangerous because when you do it, that's a prayer that God always answers. His Holy Spirit loves you and he wants to set you free from everything in you that would destroy your life. But when you pray it, he will answer it and he will show you what's going on inside of you now. Here's a question. If God has the power to set us free and he's got the omniscience to know why we're doing everything, the obvious question is, then why aren't we just praying this all the time? And can we be really honest? Actually, the answer is in this psalm. Did you notice that in this psalm, so here's what's really weird. In the verses right before David prays, search me, did you notice that he was praying for the judgment of God to fall on the sins of his enemies? He's praying for, he knows that God in his justice has to punish sin. So here's a question. If David knows God has to punish sin because he's just, how in the world, why is David willing to pray, God, search me, show me all the crap that's going on inside of me, show me my stuff. How could he pray that? Bible scholars have pointed this out. They say the reason is because David understood something had happened to the judgment of God for anyone who walks by faith. That's why David could pray, search me. Now, if that didn't make any sense, um, let, let me help you understand this. Do you guys know uh, what will happen on the day of judgment? There's, there's going to be a day of judgment where Christ returns, and everyone who has ever lived anywhere will stand in judgment before the living God and give an account for everything that they've done and whether or not they've placed their faith in him. Okay. Now, I want you to imagine this. The Bible says, just track with me with this visual. The Bible says that on that day that God will have two books in front of him. One of them will be a book of sins. And then the other will be a book of names. And I want you to imagine that on judgment day, you're there and you are gonna stand there someday. And there's a line of billions of people in front of you. And one by one, you watch them get to the front of the line. And they stand before God and he opens his book of sins and he finds their name. And then underneath their name, the Bible says that he will judge men by the secrets of their heart, everything that was hidden will be made known. And one by one, you see every person get up and a just and holy God reads out loud every sinful secret, every sinful thought, every wicked motivation that you've ever had, everything that you prayed no one would ever find out. He reads them out loud for every person in front of you. And then it's your turn. And you get to the front and with your knees knocking, you get to the front and you just wait for God to open that book again and find your name and read everything out loud. But in that moment, God, he closes his book of sins and he picks up his book of names and he opens it and he scrolls down and he finds your name and he says out loud, Josh Howerton, I have no sins to read. And you say, why? And God tells you, well, because when you placed your faith in me, all of your sins were transferred off of you and on to my son. So I don't have anything, I don't have anything left to read. Welcome into the joy of your master. That's what the Bible says will happen for everyone who's placed their faith in Christ. Now what that means is that for anyone who's placed their faith in Christ, that the minute you place your faith in him, your judgment day moved from being in the future to being in the past. Your judgment day has already happened. It happened when Jesus Christ climbed on a cross 2,000 years ago. Your judgment day is already done. And that can happen for anyone who is willing to place their faith in Christ and receive the free gift of forgiveness through Christ and Christ alone. Now listen, here's why I know, man. 
I know there's a lot of us, everybody in this room, whether you've been a Christian for 10 seconds or 100 years, there is no one who doesn't need to get a face of humility before God and say, oh God, I want more of you. Will you please search me? But I also know this. I know there's probably hundreds of you who will be here today who you've been here for three or four weeks and you felt something stirring in your heart. And maybe today for the first time in your life or for the first time in a long time, you're realizing I need to cross a line of faith. And I, I, need, I need my sins transferred from me to Jesus Christ crucified for the sins of the world. And if that's you, if you're just realizing, man, I need to cross a line of faith today, um, would you please, would you pray this prayer with me? Would you all bow your heads and close your eyes? And if that's you and you're realizing, I need to cross a line of faith today and give my life to the Lord, um, would you just pray this with me from an earnest heart? Just pray, oh God, I confess and I agree with you that I'm a sinner. I have lived for other things instead of you and I've prioritized other things before you. And God, I confess that when I look at my life, that has only brought me pain and loss and estrangement from the things that my soul now wants the most. But God, when I read in your word, I hear that your son was crucified for my sins and my mistakes. And so Father, today, I receive the free gift of forgiveness in Jesus Christ, not based on anything that I have done or anything that I will ever do. I receive it as a free gift given to me by a loving father. And I receive it by faith. I believe in you today. From this day forward, as best as I know how, I will live for you first. Thank you for making me a son or a daughter of the living God. Amen.